Well, I hope you're excited to jump into First Peter. Um, I really enjoyed our, our study through Philippians. Uh, kind of bummed that we didn't actually get the chance to go through Philippians in life group, but I know as we go through First Peter, there's some great things to discuss in our life group. So really looking forward to that. Uh, if you're not part of a life group, then I would encourage you this week to uh, jump into a life group. You can go to our webpage and, and uh, get information there on where those life groups are. And uh, we go through the message in our life group. So if you go on our website, you'll also see there's study guides there. Uh, so today's study guide's already up there. Don't go to it right now. Okay, hold off. You can do that after the message if you'd like to. Uh, but it just ask questions and just kind of gets discussion going. And then uh, from there in your life groups, you'll have a life group leader that will help walk you through it. And it's just a great time to get together with other people in the church and build those relationships and really dig deeper into God's Word. So that's, that's kind of what we got in store for you this fall. Uh, looking forward to seeing where God takes those as, as you dive in. Recruited. That's what our series is going to be called as we go through First Peter. We're going to go through probably about 14 weeks uh, worth of, of material here as we go through the whole book, and, and I hope you're excited to go through it uh, like I am. If you're not, then hopefully by the end of today, you'll be excited about it, because I think there's some great things here for us. So my wife is about eight months pregnant, uh, if you didn't know that already. Uh, she's always hiding in the back, back there, so you don't really get a chance to see her very much. But, uh, but she's getting close to that time period where she has to go through labor. And labor's tough, right? And already she's getting to that point where, you know, she's oh, it's like, oh, Ryan, my back hurts, you know, and she has to kind of roll out of bed and onto the ground. And, and she's getting to that point where she's like, I'm ready for this thing to come out of me, right? And I remember the first time uh, we had a child, so way back when, I mean, that was a long time ago, it seems like, but way back when, when Emily was born, we, uh, I, you know, I was, I was there at all the classes. I did all that thing I was supposed to do as a, as a good dad, as a good father, and all of that. And so I went through those, and, and I was ready. I was like, man, when we go to the hospital, I'm ready. You know, I knew which hospital we were going to. I knew we were going to park. I had all that. I was, I was planned out, ready to go. And so I thought I had it down. And so we go into the, uh, the delivery room, and I found out I had no idea what I was doing, Right? And i got to tell you something. I know, ladies, you have it hard. Okay, I understand that. But us guys have it hard, too. Can I hear it, guys? Amen. All right, a few of you. Well, a few of you are brave enough. Some of you are like, if you say something, yeah, okay. I got you. All right. No, we, we got a little hard. You know, we have to make these decisions. We, we're supposed to be supportive. But how do you be supportive when you're being yelled at the whole time? You know, and, and, and it's not just, I'm not saying it's Rebecca that's yelling at me. It's nurses and doctors. I'm trying to do something, and the doctor starts to tell me, hey, you know, breathe and, and, and help her. You go into the class, right? So help her breathe. And so I'm trying to help, and he's like, not like that. And I'm like, what? I, I thought I was doing the right thing. And so, you know, I'm like in the corner sucking on the thumb after a while because I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Man, things have changed. Now, now I walk in there, I know exactly what I'm doing. In fact, I'm telling the doctor what to do. I'm like, listen, I've done this more than you have. So, you know, it's... Um, just kidding. That's uh, not quite true. For all of you who don't know, this is our sixth child. So it's, you know, it's kind of like... I have been through this routine a couple times. You know, going through suffering is difficult. But I think through this, this book, we can learn how to coach people through struggles, trials, 
suffering. So that's what we're going to take a look at as we move forward. How would you, if you were asked this question, how would you coach a friend through suffering? Think about that. Think about some friend you have, maybe it's going through a difficult time. Whether it's, uh, you know, a a rocky marriage, whether it's a a parenting, whether it's a bad job, whether it's a financial situation, uh, it could be something that's in their past and they just cannot resolve it, and so they have some some stress from that. There's a lot of things that people go through. How would you, if you were given the opportunity to coach somebody through suffering, how would you do it? How would you help them? If you've asked that question, I think you'll find some help through First Peter. As you look at how Peter coaches people through suffering. So that's what we're going to take a look at. Now here's a couple of points. This is just the introduction into Peter, and then we're going to jump in the text together. But one, you may remind them they belong to God. And you're going to see that in chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, several times Peter says over and over again, you are the elect, you are God's chosen. And he wants to remind his audience, he wants to tell them, hey, listen, you guys, you are part of God's family. God is your Father. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us, and He is not finished with us. All along the way, much like Paul wrote to Philippians when he says he'll complete his work in you, he's going to complete his work in each one of us. He's going to keep taking us and and using us for his good, his glory. Remind people they belong to God. Secondly, you may encourage them through suffering. Okay, we're going through trials, we're going through struggles, we're going through suffering, so let's encourage people as they go through it. Now, there's a shift that takes place when Peter writes this, this passage, okay? And it's a shift that we need to understand. When, when Peter was writing this, there was a time period where the Jews, and it's really not much different than today, because we talk about karma today, people, things think, things think like, you know, if you do something bad, something bad's going to happen to you. If you do something good, something's good going to happen to you. Well, during the time when Jesus walked on the earth, that kind of thought and philosophy was happening as well. In fact, you can read about it, right? In one of the Gospels, Jesus is passing by, and he's, he's going by a blind person, and they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it, was it his parents? Or was it the blind man? And Jesus was like, no, you guys don't get it. That's not why some people are born blind. See, Jesus didn't associate being blind with disobedience, but in our thinking, sometimes we do. And it was certainly happening at that time. And so as the church was suffering, as the church was struggling, as the church was being persecuted, there were people going around saying, hey, the reason you're being persecuted is because you're not doing what God wants you to do. And so there had to be a shift in people's thinking. And Peter writes to the people and he says, listen, you need to understand that people will suffer, people will have trials, people will have persecution, and that doesn't mean you're not following God. In fact, he even goes so far to say, you know what, if you're following Christ, you will suffer. You will be persecuted. And that's true today as well. You know, if you have a faith in Muhammad, it may not be that big of a deal. If you have faith in Joseph Smith, probably not too big of a deal. Put your faith in Christ. There's persecution today as well, isn't there? People will pinpoint Christ, pinpoint our faith, and will persecute They did it then, they're doing it now. So we encourage people through suffering now. There is also the fact that some people suffer because we make poor choices. And in those conditions, we need to exhort people. And we need to 
help correct when we do make poor decisions. But in this case, Peter is saying, hey, we need to encourage people through suffering. Uh, 5.12 says, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is true grace of God, so stand firm in it. At the end of his letter, Peter writes this to his audience, and he says, you guys need to stand firm. Whatever you're going through, whatever trial, whatever struggle you're going through, stand firm. God's got you through all of that. So we encourage people through suffering, and the last thing we see is that we need to help turn people's attention to praise. Oftentimes, when we start to go through trials and struggles, our thoughts turn inward. We begin to think, oh, woe is me. We begin to think, you know, pity. We begin to think things like, how could this ever happen to me? Why am I a target? Why God? And we ask questions like that, and it all becomes about me, me, me. And what we need to do is help direct people's attention back to the Almighty, back to our Creator, back to Jesus Christ, the one who suffered, bled, and died on our behalf. And so as we coach people through suffering, that's one of the things we continually bring people back to is the foot of the cross, the throne room of God the Father through the cross. Okay, so there's a couple things to think about. Now, here's, here's the passage we're looking at, and really it's kind of a central passage, and it's where we get our big idea for the whole series. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. Here's how he says it. He says, you are a chosen race, a hoil, a hoil, I don't know, that's, that's not even a word. So, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you proclaim praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we try to take that whole passage, which has so much wrapped in it, and we're going to shrink it down to say this for our big idea for the whole series, that we are recruited out of our mess, okay, out of darkness and into light, to make him known. Okay? You have been recruited, you have been called out of your mess, not to make yourself known, not to make your life better, but to make Him known. Catch that? We'll take a look at that as we go through the whole series. That's our purpose. That's what God has to do with us. That's what He wants to accomplish with us, that you and I would be living our lives to proclaim the praises of Him, to make Him known to all generations, all people on the face of the earth. Now, I don't normally do this. Uh, we have two big ideas today. That might be a big idea overload for you, okay? So try to separate it as if we took a break right now, and then we're going to jump into the passage we're going to take a look at, first seven verses of First Peter, okay? Uh, we have another big idea, but that's going to be the big idea throughout the whole series, right? Recruited out of our mess to make Him known. So hopefully you'll be able to pick up on that, hear that over and over, and then maybe by the end you'll be able to just recite it when somebody wakes you up. This is what Luke always tells me. If you wake me up in the middle of the night, I want to be able to say your big idea. I'm like, all right, Luke, we're going to drive it in there. So you, if you wake up Luke in the middle of the night, he should be able to, to say that. Where we're going today, though, is to, to really repeat, well, not, not repeat so much, but where we're trying to get to, this, to see where, where Peter is leading the church, the audience, as he prepares to encourage them through suffering. And the first thing he tells them, I think, is that life is tough, but God's recruits are tougher, okay? 
Life is tough, but God's recruits are tougher. So here's, here's where we're at. First Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they're chosen. Now, if you're like, I don't know where any of those places are, good news for you, I've got a map. Maybe some of you like maps, some of you don't. But Mediterranean Sea, uh, you can kind of see where this would have been 2,000 years ago, roughly. You've got Palestine there on your far, what is it, right, uh, right side, and, and Syria. That, in that area, general area, is where the church would have began, okay, in Jerusalem. And, and as, as that message goes out, it begins to spread. Now, we have writings in the book of Acts and in other letters where it talks about how a guy by the name of Paul was a missionary and he began to go and spread the gospel. But you don't really see Paul getting into this area that Peter's writing to. He goes mainly kind of west, West Asia, and then over into Macedonia and that area, and that's where Paul does a lot of his missionary work. But Peter writes people that were a little more to the east, present-day Turkey. And he begins to talk to them, and we don't really know his relationship, why he had a relationship with them, other than there's some theories out there floating around. Maybe uh, you had a bunch of Jews who were there in Jerusalem, and when they got saved and were discipled, they began to expand and go up there. Maybe they were visiting from up north and came down to Jerusalem. Again, Peter was able to, to disciple them, work with them and the other disciples, and then they go back. Could have been that they sent missionaries there. We don't really know, but what we do know is Peter had some sort of relationship to where he can write a letter to him and say, hey, you guys that are dispersed up there, I have some news for you. Stand strong. Proclaim the praises of God, even in the midst of your trials. So that's our audience, and this is Peter, right? Peter, the guy who was there on a lake when Jesus comes walking by and says, hey, Peter, you, come follow me. And it says, Peter, he just left everything immediately and follows Christ. That's crazy when you think about it. Go back to, if, if somebody came along and said, hey, you, would you follow me? And you're like, well, okay, I'll leave my job, I'll leave my home, I'll leave everything and just follow. Peter did. He, he left everything and followed Christ. And for three plus years, he was discipled by Christ. He got to see Jesus do miracles. He got to see Jesus raise people from the dead. He got to see Jesus be arrested beaten, crucified. And then you got to see a resurrected Jesus. And this Peter, he was there the first time any major crusade ever happened when the Holy Spirit came to the earth and Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved as Peter presented the gospel. Peter was there. It's that Peter that writes this letter to the people who are out dispersed in that area. Well, this is what he has to say in verse 2. He says, according to, so you're chosen, going back to verse 1, you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. According to the foreknowledge. Now, here's, here's an interesting verse. In fact, it's a, oftentimes, here's, back up a little bit. When I read through uh, commentaries. You get, you get people who will start to say, was Peter really the author of this book? And here's the reason they ask this question. Because Peter was just some, and they don't say it this way, but they kind of infer it, some dumb fisherman out on the lake. And so people have really wrestled with this. How could, how could a fisherman write something as profound as this book? 
First Peter is filled with all kinds of, of theology. It's very rich in its theology. And this is a prime example of that. Verse 2, right out of the gate, Peter writes, and he gives us all three persons of the Trinity in one verse. Now, he didn't see it as a verse when he's writing it, but he just puts it right there, one right after another. Look at what he has to say. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, God the Father is one. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's two, to be obedient to the, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, the third. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I was here to tell you, when you've been discipled by Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher ever, and when you've been there in the early church and the Holy Spirit is there and He's working in people's lives, you grow. Paul, or Peter, was not simple-minded in any way. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter knew Jesus Christ, and Peter wrote an incredible letter, an incredible book filled with all kinds of great wisdom, insight, and teaching. But take a look at this. The three persons. Now, if you're going, what's the Trinity? Like, I don't even understand that. Here's a, here's a diagram that will probably just confuse you even more. But I might as well throw it out there anyhow, right? So you got the Father, you got the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all God. Now, you might hear people say that the Trinity is three persons in one substance. Okay? That means you have three free-thinking people in one substance. Now, you and I have a substance that's a physical substance. God has a substance that's a spirit substance. And all three of those persons are in equally in God the Spirit. But the Son is not the Father. The person of the Son is not the person of the Father, and the, the person of the Father is not the person of the Holy Spirit. They're all three free-thinking persons. Now, if you're saying to yourself, I'm lost, that's okay. It's a difficult concept. I've known this concept. I've taught this concept several times. We could teach it for 30, 40 minutes, and at the end, you may still be confused, and I would still be confused. It's just one of those concepts that as you go through Scripture, you have to kind of come to this conclusion that this is how God works. What's unique in this verse is that Peter goes through and explains each of their roles. And I think that's what makes this verse so powerful. Look at what he has to say. He shows that God is the one who foreknew, meaning that God looked into the future, planned everything out. God is the planner. God the Father, excuse me, is the planner. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knew you from the time creation took place. He knew you before you were ever born. He knew your name. He knew we'd be sitting here right now at this moment. He foreknew, he planned, he sees all of that. God the Father is the planner. We see that in that passage. Then you see the Holy Spirit is the one who trains, the one who brings us along, sanctifying us, making us more holy. He's our trainer. He's the one that's with us on a daily basis. Now, I've thought about this for a while because we talk about Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He makes, and I think, man, it's, it's an incredible sacrifice. But, but hear this. I mean, you look at your own life. I look at my life, and I think, maybe the Holy Spirit's got it harder because every day He's stuck with me, training and working and, you know, trying to fix me. Jesus did it once for all, right? On the cross, died, blood was shed. It's an incredible sacrifice. But don't forget that the Holy Spirit is there refining us all along the way. 
training us, making us more. Through the power of Jesus Christ, with the, being sent by God the Father, planned out. Now, He does bring in the Son, the Son who is both our Lord and our Savior, the one who we obey, the one who gave us the teachings when He walked upon the earth. And now He gives us also the freedom to walk into the Holy of Holies, Hebrews 10, where it says we have confidence to come before the throne room of God because of what Jesus Christ has done when He sprinkled us with His blood and He washed us from our sins. He is both our Lord and our Savior. Now, if you like paragraph form, here's another way you can think about it. God the Father chose you, okay, to be part of His plan. He, the Father, sent His Son to give us instructions on what to believe and how to live. Then He, the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to daily refine and train us. That's how all three work in your life. You realize that? The, the God of the Bible is intimately involved in your life. And all three persons are intimately involved in your life. How do you coach a person through suffering? Bring them back to the triune God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who loves you more than you ever know. Loves you with a greater passion and love than we're ever capable of. That God loves us that much. Well, let's continue on, verse 3. He goes on, he's already told us that we've been chosen, we've been brought before God the Father, we're in a relationship with Him, Holy Spirit's working in us, Jesus has given us this new life. He goes on, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of His great mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding wrath from us. We deserved to, to pay for our sins, God the Father withholds that wrath. He gives us mercy, and then He's given us a new birth into a living hope. Now, I highlight that word living hope because when I read through that, I have to ask this question, why would you describe hope as living? Think about that. Would you ever do the opposite? Would you ever describe hope as dead? In fact, what if you heard that? Ah, you've been called into a dead hope. You'd be like, "Uh, that doesn't sound too good. But instead, you've been called into a living hope. He emphasizes the idea of hope. He tells us that our hope is to be living. And let me tell you, I've come to realize that. Like 20 years ago, I had hope. I had hope in Christ, and I was sharing my faith with people. But I can tell you, 20 years later, I have a hope that's hopefully more mature than the hope I had back then. And it's been growing, and I've been understanding more about life, and I've been understanding more about this awesome Savior that I know, and I've been understanding more about the God of the Bible. And and as I'm growing, it's living. It's not something that just happened at one point. It's something that continues to grow and continues to mature, and I get closer and closer, and I walk closer and closer with God. So that when people ask me to give a reason for the hope that I have, I have more story, I have more life, I have more experience, I, I can point people to what God has done. And I can point people to His Word and what you see there. It's living. It's growing. But also, think about it this way. When you walk out these doors, I just challenge you to stop for a moment and look at the houses across the way and ask this question, what kind of hope do those people have? 
just for a moment. In fact, when you drive home and you, walk, you drive through your neighborhood, you're driving by houses, ask this question, what kind of hope do they have? At best, they may have a temporary hope. At best, they may be excited because last night the Broncos whooped another team in football. What was that team? Coyotes or something like that? Huskies or I don't know, whatever it was. It's bad, isn't it, when he doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, that was their hope. That was their excitement. They may have a hope today because today they're going to watch their NFL team play. I don't know, whatever their hope may be. It may be that they have a hope because, hey, they see that they're going to be able to buy that car that they wanted or that house they wanted, or they're able to have a little bit of a break because today's Sunday, or they have a hope because they've got a new job. They've got a new significant person in their life. But we know that's all temporary hope. The hope that Peter points people to is a living hope. In fact, he goes on, he talks about this hope and how it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he even explains it this far. He says, it's into an inheritance that is imperishable. It will not go away. It's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. I guarantee you anything you try to find on this earth that's going to bring you hope will perish. It's defiled. It's fading, and certainly not kept in heaven. But this living hope, the hope that we find through Jesus Christ, is a hope that will go on for all eternity. It's an eternal hope. And you then, verse 5, are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Almighty God is guarding you. Through faith. So we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that He suffered, bled, and died on the cross for our sins. We have confessed with our mouth, believed in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. We have been saved, and we live out that faith daily on a regular basis. And we have God who comes along and helps us, and the Holy Spirit who is in our lives, and He's continuing to train and, and refine us and help us to be more like God the Father. And it's an incredible power that is always with us at all times. Now, did you, when you were in elementary school, did you ever go through that time period where you and your friends started talking about whose dad was bigger than who? Did you ever be like, well, my dad's bigger than My dad can lift 500 pounds. Then you'd be like, my dad can lift two cars at one time. My dad can lift two semis, you know, and then you're back and forth and you're going. Stop and think about the God we have. God the Father. With incredible power to come behind us, walk with us, go through life with us, teach us, train us, refine us. Man, it's incredible. Verse 6, when you think about all of that, how can you not rejoice? He goes on, verse 6, rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. He kind of compares and he says, I know right now the trials seem great, but, but understand it's short Especially compared to the eternal glory that we have, it's short. Even if you have to suffer for a little bit of time, we can rejoice because we know what the outcome is. We know what our living hope points to. And then verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, all these things point to faith. Romans 5, you can read that if you'd like to at one point, but it talks about how we're, our character is being refined being refined by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, being refined by trials, suffering, and struggles. 
Our suffering produces perseverance. Our perseverance produces proven character, proven character hope. We have this character that's being built in us, and it's more valuable than gold. Gold's perishable, but our faith is refined by fire, and it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's a question. We've been recruited, I think, to, and given a new identity. We're now children of God, and we're going to talk about that the next several weeks in this section as we go through the book. We've been given this new identity as God's children, called and recruited to be His children. So when people ask you, who are you, what do you say? When people come to you and say, hey, what do you do? Who are you? How would you define yourself? What do you say? Now, maybe you've done this exercise somewhere along the way. Uh, when Rebecca and I, we went to do foster care, we had to do this exercise, and then we were told when, uh, when foster kids come into the system, oftentimes they'll have to do this exercise as well, older, older ones. We didn't get one of these from Carter. He was only four days old when we got him. So. Um, but what you do is you draw the box, you put your name in there, and then you start to define yourself. Like in this case, a daughter, computer lab, soccer player, you know, and she begins to define who she is. If you were to do that, what would it look like? If someone comes and asks me, Ryan, who are you? This is sometimes how I feel. Right? Like, I don't know. Maybe that's how you feel. But I think what we can find in this, this passage is we're given a new identity as God's recruit, and it has some incredible benefits that come with it. So I want to take this passage and just kind of do the same thing with it. There's you in the middle. And here's just what we get from 1 Peter. And there's a lot more we can add to this from all of Scripture. But there's you in the middle. You have, as Peter talks about, new life and it has living hope in it. You can put new life or living hope in there. You have a living hope. It's not dead. It's not temporary. It's not going to pass away. You have a living hope that continues on for all eternity. You have eternal benefits. Okay? Some people are worried about Social Security going away, right? God's Social Security plan doesn't go away. The eternal benefits that come from salvation in Christ does not go away. There's eternal benefits that last for all time. You're protected by the Almighty God. You're protected by that Father who's bigger than any other Father known to all creation. And there's joy in that. There ought to be, right? To know you're secure, to know that the God of the universe, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working intimately in your life. They know you. They've known you from the time of all creation. They, they know you today. They, they see where you are. They see where you're sitting. They see the life you're in. And they love you. That should bring joy to our lives. And in response, it should bring praise, honor, and glory to God. You realize that where you live, what you do, the family you're in, the work you do brings honor, praise, and glory to God. Some people say, well, I need to do more. I need to be a missionary. Boy, if I was a missionary, I'd bring honor and glory to God. Listen, if you are where God wants you to be, you bring honor to Him right there. Because you're doing what God wants you to do. You can be a missionary right where you're at. Share the gospel, the good news, in the neighborhood you live in. 
You don't need to move to a new neighborhood to do it. You need to do it right there faithfully where you are. Bring praise, honor, and glory to God, doing exactly what God called you to do. So how do you do that? I'll leave you with a couple of these thoughts as we, we come to a close here. Since we're talking about being recruited, and it's kind of a, I don't know, a soldier theme in a way, I thought we might as well have a workout. So here's your workout for the week, to toughen your faith and hold on to your identity. If that's your identity and that's how you would describe who you are, we need to hold on to that because you can bet there are going to be times in your life when you may feel like your identity is going to be challenged. There's going to be people who tell you, hey, that's not who you are. You should be more like this. You should be more like that. You've got to hold on to that identity of who you are in Christ. So here's three things I think you can do to help. One, you need to study God's truth and pray. Now, oftentimes you hear things like, read the Bible, pray every day, or something like that. At least that's what I heard when I was a kid. Read your Bible, pray every day. I think that was a song, I think. But do more than just read, okay? There are so many times I can read something and get to the end and go, I have no idea what I just read. That's not going to be of value to you if that's the way you approach Scripture. You've got to read it, and it needs to impact your life. You need to understand what it's saying. You need to study it. Study God's truth. Study God's Word and pray. Be in a relationship with God the Father. Pray through Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how all three kind of work in that situation. We're praying and we're talking to God. Study God's Word and pray. Be active in the body of Christ. Now, sometimes we hear, be active in the church. I, I purposely am not using the word church because I think sometimes we get this idea that the church is an organization, but the church is a living body. The Bible talks about it and how we're all members of it, and we have eyes and foot and mouth and nose, and we all have an, a part of that body. We need to be active in the body of Christ on a Sunday morning, through life groups, through other relationships that we can form, through discipleship and things like that. We need to be active in that body of Christ. So we can grow, we can be tough. And then we can push beyond our comfort zone. That's the hard one, right? Hey, I can study God's Word and pray and, and at home, on my couch, where it's comfortable. I can be active in the body of Christ on a Sunday morning, four walls surrounding me, people outside don't know what they do unless, you know, don't know what we do unless they come through the doors. We can do it at Life Group, it's comfortable there but to live my faith outside the walls, to live my faith in the community, to live out my faith at that restaurant that we go to, that grocery store with my neighbors, well, that's going to push me beyond my comfort zone. But that's what God wants us to do, push ourselves beyond that comfort zone. You do that, it, it toughens our faith. We have to depend upon God all the more. We have to hold on to our identity. Now, I think God can make us tough in a lot of different ways. So a couple uh, story, at least, to kind of close this off. Uh, I remember uh, I was pretty, pretty new, I guess, to, to pastoring a church, young church. And um, I, was, I was getting done at the end of the service, and I knew there was, there was a cantankerous lady in the back. And she'd often, she'd be making noises as I'm, like, talking. So, uh, 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 I'm like, okay, well, this is odd. 
So at the end of, of the, the message, I remember going, I'd go to the back, and I'd be shaking people's hands, and, and she'd come past me, and she, she had a list, and she wanted to give it to me. She's like, Pastor, there's a list of things here. I, I need you to change, or I'm, I'm out of here. And if I'm out of here, I'm taking my money with me. I'm like, okay. Now, I was young, and we were trying to build this church, and we needed finances. You know, I'm like, oh, we need that. And, but for whatever reason, maybe this is the right way to handle it. Maybe it wasn't. But for whatever reason, I turned to her and I said, you know what? I'm here to make God happy, not you. And if you need to leave, you need to leave. I look back at that and I think, I wouldn't normally say that. But in that situation, I felt like God was like, this is what you need to say. You need to be tough. Now, I'm not saying that's the way we approach every situation in life. But I do know that there are times in our lives we have to take a stand for God. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to pull us out of our comfort zone. But it's worth it. And I'll tell you, the church was better off without her. I know that's harsh. Doesn't sound right. Sure doesn't sound loving. But if Jesus can turn to Peter and say, Peter, get behind me, Satan, I think we can be bold at times and say, you know what? There are times where we have to say things that are difficult, uncomfortable, and hard. Now, we need to go out into our world. We need to live with compassion. We need to love people. We need to care for them. And we need to do it in the right way. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes it's difficult. It certainly be tough. Maybe you're going through life right now and you're thinking, man, everything seems to be going against me. And so today we call this tough as nails, right? You're supposed to be, we're supposed to be tough as nails. So I got some nails here. I just want to throw them into this board to remind us that sometimes we get those little trials and they just keep kind of pounding on us. In fact, these are the ones that probably bug me the most, right? The ones that just every day I get a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And you're like, when's it going to stop? It keeps coming. You know, it's on and on and on. And you're feeling like, okay, God, I've had enough today. Just today alone, right? I've had enough. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming until you finally get to your bed at night. Oh, man. Get a rest. Hopefully tomorrow is a whole lot better, right? And then there's times in your life where it's just, you just get hit once or twice. Right? And you're like, oh, let go. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I do know this, that the more trials we have, the more struggles we have, the more we need to press into Christ so that at the end, we just represent Him. Right? I hope that's what you get as we go through the book of 1 Peter. We're here to encourage, here to strengthen, here to help people point us to Christ. Father, thank you for our time that we can come this morning and look at where your word, we are recruited out of our mess to make you known, and our lives are messy. But you're great, and you have the power to take us from where we were to where we need to be. Guide and lead us. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, every day. Father, we thank you that you saw fit 
to call us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Holy Spirit, thank you that you, you reside in us. We are your temple, as messy as we are. To the Son, we thank you that you cleaned us up by the blood that you sacrificed on that cross. And now we live in a new life with you. We want to take that message of, of living hope and, and now give it to people who are so desperate for it. We have the greatest hope in the world. And we don't want to just keep it in these four walls. We want to take it out into the mission field that you've given us, whether it's our next door neighbor, whether it's our coworker, a family member, a friend we grew up with, a stranger we meet. We want to give the gospel to them. Help us do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.